The Movements is a leftist history and politics podcast. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Movements Pod. La tierra gira y gira. Hey, comrades. It's been a while, hasn't it? We've picked up uh, some new listeners ever since the conclusion of the Palestine podcast series. So I think I should take this moment to welcome all the new folks. Thank you for finding my show. And to uh, just give you a quick update that uh, this is indeed a narrative-driven, story-based history podcast. But those episodes are a lot of work, so periodically we like to do... Uh, these sort of discussion episodes and update episodes uh, known as Stalin for Time, because I'm so funny. I don't want to waste too much time before we get to my discussion with Comrade Janelle, but I did want to go over a couple of things. Uh, The new history series, the Russian Revolution history series, that should be premiering, unless I screw things up, uh, December, no, January 1st, 2018, to ring in the new year. Uh, consider it season two of the movements. I plan on getting back to a more rigorous schedule of research and writing for the next year. Uh, but again, these episodes are intensive with, I would estimate, maybe about uh, 35 to 40 hours of labor before I uh, am able to produce a 50-minute episode. So... You know what? Hey, that's a good segue to say that uh, in the interim, I have also started a Patreon. You can support the show uh, by going to patreon.com slash movements pod. We're working on a monthly donation basis. You can start donating uh, at as at little as a uh, dollar a month. But if you donate at at least five dollars a month or more, you can get a monthly snarky email from me. Uh, the idea behind the monthly email, I'll just plain, uh, explain briefly, is basically uh, I'm going to write about all the different podcasts or YouTube videos or, you know, short form uh, popularized educational history v- videos or that I've come across, uh, articles, things like that. Um, and sometimes there'll be things that I liked, and I'll tell you why. Uh, things that I thought did really, really good research or had a really interesting perspective on a political historical topic. And then sometimes it'll just be me kind of shitting on things because I'm I, I have a snarky streak. Um, I think it comes off more on my social media presence than on the show here, but I'm sure you've noticed by now. Uh, some of the topics you've missed are me talking about the Ken Burns Vietnam series and talking about how much I did enjoy it, but also how much uh, liberal bullshit it's still kind of indulged in. Um, and uh, yeah, so if you want in on this action, at least $5 a month or more. And then, you know, there's some also other uh, awards, rewards uh, that are uh, for higher levels that you can find out on um, patreon.com slash movements pod. I want to thank the first three uh, patrons of mine on Patreon. Uh, I don't want to give away their full name so they don't get on the Federales list. Uh, but uh, thank you so much to Amanda, uh, to Michael, and to Adam. Y'all are the vanguard. Thank you for, you know, 
I'm amazed that there's as many people listening to the show one year uh, shortly after I started. And um, I'm blown away that people are giving me money to do this. Um, so thank you. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, the more of you contribute, the more I am able to do this really intensive hard work. Anyway, uh, for the purposes of maintaining anonymity, um, I'm just going to go ahead and say that the following is an interview with Comrade Janelle, a comrade of mine, uh, very knowledgeable about uh, black liberation struggles, the whitewashing of history. And then we kind of go on some general tangents about fighting uh, the man, fighting white supremacy, capitalism, the intersections of such things. It's going to get a little real again, which I've noticed seems to happen uh, when I got my uh, women of color on the show. We tend to get a little militant. <laughs> so, uh, you know, don't snitch. Don't be a narc. Janelle, thank you so much for uh, joining me on the movements on this episode, uh, this installment of Stalin for Time. Um, mm -hmm. For the audience at home, uh, Janelle and I uh, had a, a wonderful two years living together in a totally um, shit-tastic apartment <laughs> that had its charms, but mainly had a terrible goddamn landlord. Um, and that definitely was an experience that made me even more red than I already was. When, when the revolution comes, we'll get rid of him. It's oh, fine. Oh, my God. Uh, that, that, you know, for anybody listening, that was a joke, <laughs> you know, just so you know. Uh, but seriously, oh, fuck that guy. Um, there's a reason in, like, the history that I've been talking about that people tend to do really bad things to landlords. There's a reason for that. That's all mm -hmm. I am going to say. There's some nice ones out there somewhere. I have never heard of them, but... Yeah, Maybe there there are some half decent petty bourgeoisie out there who mm -hmm. I can only assume will uh, eventually uh, uh, peacefully surrender their property <laughs> when the proletariat expropriate it. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, um, Janelle, I wanted to talk to you about all kinds of stuff, mainly. Um, I'm thinking one of the things that Janelle and I used to really enjoy talking about late at night, possibly after a few beers, some burrs, <laughs> some burrs, um, was, uh, history being whitewashed. Exactly. So, yes. It's one of my favorite topics. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could tell us about who are some of your favorite, um, historical figures who are whitewashed and can you tell us about what they were really all about? So I, I think one of my favorites and people probably already know this, um, are certain things about her because drunk history covered her at one point. So Harriet Tubman, um, personally, the way I learned about her in school was not like, you know, the way that, <clears throat> sorry, she's actually, uh, written about in history because she was a nuisance for, for, um, you know, white supremacists and slave owners and things like that. But you don't really hear about all the, you know, interesting things that she did or all the tactics that she used when she was going to essentially, you know, free people from like slavery, which is, which is 
it's hard to imagine that the type of like enormous tasks that she was taking on. Right. Like when we, when we think about, um, people freeing people from slavery, we don't think about it as like how dangerous it is. I think it's sort of like sanitized Mm -hmm. and how it happened. Right. So we talk about it. We're like, and the slaves were free. Yay. But she did like some really, you know, interesting, like, Things she had to spy, she had to use disguises. I mean, she had to threaten people, she had to bribe people. Mm-hmm. Like this is not how you learn of Harriet Tubman. You always see this like little image of her as this like older woman, and she looks very, you know, it's very much like this mammy figure that you get. Yeah. Which, which, what I mean is that like she looks like you know like a house grandma who takes care of the like your little white children and things like that and the household. But she was like definitely very badass. Um, there was one thing that she used to have to do, I believe, uh, which was whenever she would free people, if anyone wanted to go back, it was like either you're going to come with us or you're going to go, you're going to go back and die or you're going to die. You mm-hmm. know, we have to threaten you because you cannot return because they're going to probably torture you to get information out of you about right. where we're going. So you either die here or you die back at the plantation. There's no going back. You know, dead men tell no tales, as they Ex- say. Exactly. So that was one of the things that she had to do, and you didn't, you never hear about that. You know, and so that's, I that's just, like really, really brutal stuff. But right. it's important to learn about because uh, liberation is not a pretty thing. Right. And. Here's an interesting fact. Whenever there were children, she used to have to drug the children. Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> to she like... used to have to... Yeah. She wanted to keep the families together, right? So she would have to um, use this, like, I don't know exactly what it was called, but it was opium. And she used to have to give these kids opium so they could knock them out, so they could take them on the underground railroad. This is like something that you wouldn't even, you know, think of. You're like, Oh, I have to drug my kids. Harriet Tubman literally gave children drugs. is what you're Right. <laughs> she did. She had to because, you know, otherwise they, they probably wouldn't escape or maybe they'll make a sound or, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah, okay. it's, it's really, it's, it's Harriet Tubman. Like you said, she's a spy in many ways. Uh-huh. She had to use a lot of the same skills and similar techniques of spies, And like people look at the, you know, they think of spies like, you know, James Bond or uh, the guy, Tom Cruise in that movie, Mission Impossible. I don't even know the movie or the characters, but whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, And we forget that part of spy work is just uh, being extremely cutthroat. Um, Mm -hmm. And like you said, straight up telling people like, I can either save you or I can kill you. Because if we, like you said, uh, they could sink the whole enterprise down. Intelligence. You know, you Mm got to keep that shit on lockdown. Yeah. But, I mean, there's just so much interesting stuff about her that I just, like, learning about it. And this is very recent for me because, you know, she's very sanitized. Like, you don't hear of any of this stuff. You don't hear about how she, uh, there there was a tactic, apparently, that she used to use where she would carry two chickens with her. And whenever she would recognize a master, I think, or something like that. Or if they would, if they would get suspicious and they, cause you know, some of them probably knew their slaves faces pretty well. And obviously she was a stranger. So she would infiltrate 
somehow get into these um, get onto these farms and go to these slaves at night and tell them how to escape and tell them what the plan was. And this is what we're going to do. And she would take like 12 to 15 people, but she would have to get on these farms and she would take two chickens with her. And when the master was coming, she would kind of release the chickens and go chasing after them like a bumbling fool. Oh my God. And the master would be so amused that he wouldn't notice that that wasn't one of his slaves. That is brilliant. Yeah. That is some top-notch incognito spy. Shit. And she couldn't read. This woman could not read, you know. Mm. And, and you know, there there's another story where she, like, held a book in her hand and pretended to read it. And when the, these idiots came on the train, they looked at her reading. There's like, oh, this, the person we're looking for can't read. And she she would just hope that she was holding the book right side up. Oh, so this man. this woman, yeah, it it's cra- like this the sort of things that she had to do, and there are so many stories like this about her. I mean, she um, she also like burnt plantations down. Yes, yeah, and like that's I remember it's, like a lot of the things that people talk about when they talk about like Sherman's March, for example, and they're like, oh, it was terrible that like this Union general went in there. And, you know, destroyed all this property. People were homeless. People, like, were starving because, like, their crops were destroyed and stuff like that. But it's mm-hmm. like, also, Harriet Tubman did that, too. Yeah. And she was really um, good friends, apparently, with John Brown. Like, she knew him personally? Yeah. I didn't know that. He called her the general. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! That's the same nickname that Frederick Engels had for Karl Marx. That's, That's great. hilarious. He called her general. That is if John Brown is calling you the general. Yeah. You done some shit. Yeah. He was he respected the you know the hell out of her. Um he called her General Tubman, man. It's it was in, amazing. It, it's interesting that history remembers John Brown as this violent terrorist. Like mm-hmm. you know, we know what he was about. Even if it's like morphed into this sort of like evil caricature, we know that he killed people. He was a militant. He was trying to start a war. This, Mm -hmm. this old white man is allowed to be that, but then this black woman has to be sanitized. Right. Exactly. It's, it's, it's like a very common narrative that you find in history where, and you know, she doesn't look the part of an assassin or a spy or anything like that, but she would make a great, it would be such a great story to actually have. I'm, I'm surprised. Well, I'm not surprised that they haven't done anything like Hollywood hasn't touched the story, but like she was definitely formidable. You know, she, yeah. she, she re- led a armed assault in the civil war. She guided a regiment of 300 black soldiers in a raid, you know, in South Carolina. That that's, that's yeah. not nothing. And commanded gunboats around Confederate mines in the river. Like, this woman was badass. She was a gorilla. She definitely, definitely. And you don't hear anything about this. Like, I could talk about this, you know, forever. Um, And she reminds me of another one of my favorites. I mean, we're definitely not done talking about Harriet. But one of my favorites is uh, from my country. I'm, I'm Jamaican. And in Jamaica... We have uh, people that used to, like when they would bring them from um, West Africa, 
specifically from, I think, the Ashanti tribe or something like that, um, they would escape as soon as they just like hit the land. They would escape into the mountains. They knew the terrain better somehow than um, the English. Right. And they would form communities and they would form them sometimes with natives who had escaped um, torture and, you know, enslavement and things like that. And they would learn the terrain and they would learn about the land and, you know, they would lead raids on these English like settlers. And one of the most well known is actually um, Nanny of the Maroons, who is on our money. Like she is celebrated in 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 Jamaica in a way that Harriet Tubman isn't here. And it's uh-huh. interesting to see the parallels. She was like, you know, she used to set shit on fire. There was a, there was a rumor. I don't know if this story is necessarily true, but she would keep the teeth of English soldiers <laughs> and settlers like in a necklace around her neck, supposedly, you know, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure, mm-hmm. but this sounds something like that sounds pretty awesome to me. So I'm willing <laughs> to believe it. <laughs> like, you know, I, when I hear stories like that and like definitely a lot of the people in history that, you know, at the very least I'm on their side, if I don't outright endorse them, mm-hmm. um, who do really intense stuff, like necklace of the teeth of the colonizers <laughs> around your neck, like, you know, like those of us who like, gr- you know, grew up in a world that's like relatively, this world is garbage, but like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm relatively safe. I had it <laughs> relatively okay. Like, you know, all things considered. And, yeah. you know, the thought of putting myself in that place where I'm literally going to, you know, say what you will, you have to kill somebody in self-defense or as an act of war, whatever. But then to take that next step and like make a necklace out of their Mm -hmm. teeth or you know i don't know ears or whatever yeah it's like well that's so intense and then you got to remind yourself well those were some intense ass times Mm -hmm. these people were responding to the world around them and like it's easy to be judging these people but it's like you have to understand like there's an intense amount of trauma Mm -hmm. that people experience um when they are engaged in liberation struggle it's awful. Yeah. It's terrible. Um, but, but also kind of badass. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, and if you if you read up on these these people like history about them is so much more interesting than we are than we are led to believe. It's almost like we sanitize them so that, you know, currently we don't get any ideas or we keep we sanitize them so we can kind of dumb down the rest of the population. We sanitize Mm -hmm. them so that we can erase like the struggle they actually had throughout history. Like they make it seem so easy. They make it seem so peaceful. It's never been peaceful. You know, if, Mm -hmm. if either of these women had been caught, they would have been burned alive or worse, tortured and burnt alive. So you have to think about it that way. It's like, if, if they didn't fight for themselves and fight for, other people, um, in the way that they did it, you know, the outcome would have been worse for them would have been worse for these people. Imagine being enslaved and having to work your entire life, you know, for free on this farm and your children are taken away from you. Like it was horrific. Mm -hmm. So people don't think of slavery 
as horrific as they should think about it, you know? And so when you, you mentioned that, oh yeah, you know, she, she like killed British soldiers and set their farms on fire. You know, people must be like, oh my God, that's, that's so horrific. But I'm like, think about what people had to go through. That was horrific. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I don't know. Personally, (laughs) that's how I think about it. It's like my (laughs) people, my people are still suffering and they suffered a lot. And, you know, I had, I like I uh, half of my, you know, part of my family uh, descended from Maroons. So we have these stories in our family line about how they had to resist the British soldiers. And can you actually all these very quickly, like explain, because I think a lot of the people listening to this will not know who, the, who those people are. Well, I mean, like I said, they, you know, Maroons escaped into the mountains mm. and things like that and basically led raids on British soldiers. Um, at one point the British were so, they had been attacked so many, like I think Jamaica is one of the countries where most, I think maybe had the most slave rebellions or something like that. Something mm-hmm. really crazy like that, like most slave rebellions. And so the British were getting tired of it at one point, because they were like, oh, all these people are from this really proud um, nation in Africa. And we enslaved them and we brought them here and they have escaped and we don't know what to do because they actually are very smart. Um, They are very skilled in terms of war. They are, you know, they know the land. Um, They are going to mess us up. So they mm-hmm. actually had to, at one point, um, have a treaty with Maroons and they stopped getting slaves from, or stopped kidnapping people and making them slaves from, um, that specific nation and would take people from elsewhere and make them slaves so that the Maroons mm-hmm. who were from that nation didn't have any ties to these other yep. people. Mm-hmm. And so they would actually be under the employ of the British at one point because they were like, if you, if you do this for us and if you catch runaway slaves, then we won't attack you. We'll leave you guys alone. And so, you know, it's like very interesting. It's like they had to sort of give up other people as well. But, you know, those, you know, that's a basic rundown of who the Maroons were. Um, We call them, I think we say that they're from the Coromanti tribe or they used to speak Coromanti uh-huh. and a lot of our Patwa, which is the dialect that we speak in Jamaica is, um, from, I guess, from the slaves that were brought over or from the people who are brought over and enslaved in Jamaica as well. So I don't know. You'd have to read up on the, it's like a lot of history. Um, oh, yeah, I bet. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> I'm, I'm embarrassed to say like, um, it's like the last time I had one of these Solomon for Time episodes um, uh, was about Puerto Rico. And that was an instance where it was like, I really don't know that much. And yeah. it's the same thing here. I think like the Caribbean is one of those areas that with the exception of Cuba, I really, really don't know as much as I should, like for whatever reason, um, like, Oh, even. And then when like Mechie was on like earlier, this year, Dominican Republic. I knew a little bit about DR, 
Mm -hmm. um, but still, like, those are like the Caribbean. Trujillo and stuff. Trujillo. Oh, my yeah. God. Well, I mean, Trujillo <laughs> is just like beyond just being like an important history to understand. It's also like dude was bonkers. Mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. like you know like amongst there's there's some like classic like strongman authoritarian dictator types and then you have Trujillo and like yeah yeah <laughs> but um but yeah no so like I think you know these these histories are super interesting um for like the times that we're living in now uh because you know we're living in this period of time where things have been escalating we are in, in a place right now politically uh, both in the United States, Europe, and many, many other parts of the world where it's like, uh, we know things aren't necessarily going to get better anytime soon. There's an open question of how much more violent is going to get, uh, right. how much more repression is there going to be. White supremacy made a big, big, made some big advances in the past mm -hmm. year, especially. And, you know, there's the folks out there who like are like, well, we got to be peaceful. We got to be nonviolent and that sort of thing. And like, I feel two ways about it. On the one hand, um, I think that because uh, we are approaching a period of time where more forms, more militant resistance is definitely necessary and needed. Um, mm -hmm. It's no longer a theoretical question. We do have to start thinking smart about like what are smart ways to apply militancy or even violence if necessary, because that stuff can backfire. We have to like remember that. Um, yeah. But at the same time, like sorting out that, you know, we aren't we don't want to be doing these things. Right. We would rather not. It would be much more. It would be great if we could just chill out and play PS4 all day, you know, <laughs> and like, or like, you know, just go and vote every, you know, two years and then mm -hmm. like have that be the way. But like when you I mean, actually start to resist effectively, um, white supremacy or capital or colonizers, whoever they, whoever is the person that is oppressing you, they are not going to tolerate it. And they're right. going peaceful if if a peaceful movement is effective it will be smashed violently right always always and i think that's something that they, people don't get right and they will they will kill your leaders they will assassinate them if they can which happens mm -hmm. um in i mean some people disagree or whatever but you know it's clear that Martin Luther King Jr. didn't just just <laughs> die. I mean, he was you know he was assassinated like, mm -hmm. and he was very well known, and he was actually quite militant more than history has led us to believe. He put children on the front lines of hoses, right? People you know? forget that. Yeah, that that's not something that you would you know, he was like, quote unquote, peaceful, but he was still a thorn in the side. He wasn't considered peaceful. So in terms of like peace is relative, like peaceful protest is relative, like mm -hmm. nothing that you do to advance um, marginalized people will be considered peaceful by the people in power. Yep. They will always consider you a threat. Obama was considered a threat. Right. And he's just the most center, you know, that you can get possibly. Yeah. 
(laughs) And and like liberals would say like, well, you know, that was the right wing miss, you know, uh, portraying Mm -hmm. himself, portraying Obama as something he wasn't. And we shouldn't take that seriously. And I'm like, that would be nice and all if that's how politics worked. But the fact is whether or not Obama was, you know, Mao Zedong reincarnated or he was a centrist liberal um, Mm -hmm. to the right wing. He was Mao Zedong reincarnated with a dose of Stalin. And they were acting accordingly. Um, There are, I was looking at the numbers, the Southern Poverty Law Center's numbers for how many militias, a right wing patriot or three percenter, all those different like kinds of right wing militias out there. In 2015, there was 276 of them. In the United States, and that's not even counting the organizations that don't that aren't proper militias. They might just be, you know, a bunch of libertarians or a bunch of like right wing conspiracy guys, but they don't necessarily have organized guns. There's way more of those. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a huge jump from earlier when you just had like, you know, maybe 60 militias, which even that I think is like a bit much. But still, like there was a massive spike in armed people many of which were outright racist and the others may not have been outright white supremacists but were willing to ally with them mm-hmm. these crazy conspiracy theory like you know the un is going to come and take all of our guns people mm-hmm. um that's that those people grew in numbers because of a centrist you know milk toast liberal just happened to be black and occasionally say, you know, like they got they got so angry for him just for saying that one time that, you know, if he had a son, it would look like, you know, he would look like Trayvon Martin. Right. That was seen as like this dangerous sort of thing. So right. like we got to be prepared because like it doesn't matter how peaceful we are. Mm-hmm. They want to kill no. us. Your rhetoric could be like, let's hold hands with uh, the KKK so that we can make friends and convince them that we're, um, you know, capable of existing together. And like, we we deserve to exist and we're good people. And there are always like, you know, people who want to go hug the KKK and stuff. Even even people like that, the KKK will turn around and be like, you need to die. Yeah. Because you're hugging me, like you're touching me, you know, stuff like that. It's really weird to think about, but... The, you can't hug white supremacy out of existence. <laughs> no. You you might be able to hug a couple of those people, a few mm-hmm. of them. And, you know, it's legit. There are, and those, you know, those dudes who, or those people who are going out there trying to be friends and, like, pull out people out of these white supremacist or right-wing groups... More power to them. I hope them all the success. But it's like you can't do that, to, like to all of these people. Right. It's 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 a great you know story to tell people to warm your heart about, you know you know when you make friends with one or two clansmen and you get them to turn, mm-hmm. but you still have thousands. <laughs> you know, like thousands. No, it's it's hard to tell how many people are like an actual threat Millions. of this kind. Um, but there's at least thousands of them out there Mm -hmm. and you can't hug them. (laughs) You can't hug them. And, and it's not just, it's not just the people, but it's the policies and it's the government and it's all these things that, you know, white supremacy permeates every aspect of life. 
And so you can't just hug that away. You have to discuss it and you have to like do whatever you can to get it out. You have to, sometimes you have to be violent, you know, yeah. and it's not, and, and sometimes you, you know, sometimes you can be peaceful, but sometimes you have to, and I don't, I don't consider it violence. I consider it reacting to violence. I consider Absolutely. it being, de- being defensive, right? You have to protect yourself. Well, the, the, the people in the United States, people of color, queer people, you know, all these different, you know, people who are vulnerable right now. We have been responding incredibly mildly. Mm-hmm. Given what is being done to us, it is incredible the amount of patience that people have. And I think part of it isn't so much patience as it is fear and having been pretty effectively subdued in the past. I think people remember, even if they don't literally remember that, they understand that this can get really ugly if you really do resist. Mm-hmm. Um but at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, major violent attacks against the white supremacist machine, fairly rare. It right. doesn't happen that often. Certainly when you put it in, 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 um, in comparison to how much is being done against us, it's like, wow, it is. And yet the exceptional violence that is sometimes committed by our people or our, you know, our comrades, our allies, whoever that is treated as you have to elevate both as equal, which is mm-hmm. ridiculous. And yeah. Then, you know, I have to tell you that. I feel like I've, I've been pretty clear on that position <laughs> of mine. <laughs> over Definitely. These Definitely. So, um, we, we are wrapping up on time. Yes. Um, but I don't know. Do you have any last thoughts about, history or about what's going on right now um, or whatever i mean clearly i didn't get to talk as much as i wanted to we'll but do this again <laughs> we will um but i just think it's 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 important for especially our generation to remember that you know like to remember the people who came before us and to remember how they had to fight because we haven't faced you know, violence in the way that they have, but things are getting more violent. And because they are, we can't just use this rhetoric at a time period where we think that like nothing bad is going to happen to us. I mean, or if we, if we just like kneel down and, and pray about it, or we kneel down and we compromise with people, like sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes we have to protect ourselves in a way that we might fundamentally disagree with. Like, I don't love guns. Yeah. But at at some point I have to think, well, if I ever had to shoot a gun, I need to learn like things yeah. like that. I, I started thinking about it. I think our generation should think about um, what people before us had to do, what women, you know, these black these black women before us had to do to survive, to help their people, to ensure that white supremacy did not, you know, destroy them essentially. And that's what it is. It's, it's like, it's a cancer, it's cancerous. And we need to kind of at some point think about ways in which we can eradicate that, not just peacefully, but ways in which we have to maybe take up arms, you know? Yeah. I mean, what I, what I've been saying is, um, if, when you have to defend yourself or, mm -hmm. or liberate your people, you don't want to be learning on the job. 
Right. You <laughs> don't. It takes a lot of preparation. Like, I don't know how to shoot a gun. and I'm kind of worried <laughs> about that. So. You and me both. You and me both. Anyway, anyway, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, we are definitely going to have to do it again. I'm sorry we only had like a half hour. We had some technical issues earlier. So uh, we had to do this short. But you are definitely going to be on again. Awesome. This is super fun. I I would be happy to be on this again. We'll make it happen very soon. All right. Okay. Awesome. The Movements is a leftist history and politics podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Movements Pod and support the show by donating at patreon.com slash movementspod. Soldado, tú eres el pueblo, el pueblo es tu superior, por eso juntos haremos triunfar la revolución. Que vengan los policías a escuchar esta canción. Oh